everybody, welcome to this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast that I'm going to call Why the Twippies Matter, okay? But before I go into this episode, I want to talk a little bit about something I just bought for all of you out there. That's right, everyone who listens to this podcast is going to be the recipient of a gift from Canada. And you know what that is? It's a better microphone. So hopefully, you will notice an audio difference on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I used to do this show with a $19 USB headset microphone, and I went out and I said, you guys deserve a better sounding pinball podcast. So hopefully, you are enjoying the audio on this show. And please email me at canadapinball at gmail.com and let me know if it sounds much, much better. I think it will. I think it will. Okay. So why am I calling this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, Why the Twippies Matter? I want to explain why. Because every year, you guys out there, the community of people who love pinball, who follow pinball, who collect pinball, you get to have your collective voices heard in the pinball hobby. And what started out last year as the first ever annual Twippies Award is actually going to be a live event production. Well, we don't know how much of a production it will be, but at the Texas Pinball Festival, you know, March like 22nd to the 24th, uh, Greg and Zach are going to do a live show in which they announce the winners of the Twippies, okay? And for those of you who have been living under a rock, we know what the Twippies are. It's this week in pinball. It's their annual award. And so I just want to go on the record for saying I do think the Twippies matter. And here's why. Because I think there are a lot of hardworking people in the pinball hobby and they deserve to be recognized. Everyone from designers to coders to artists to all the manufacturers that are out there, you know, the awards mean a lot to people and, and, and the recognition means a lot to people. I, I know it means a lot to people like Scott Denisi. I know it means a lot to people like Christopher Franchi. They, it, they really love knowing that the people out there uh, are really congratulatory of their work, okay? And so I was reading on Pinside uh, about pinball podcasts. And here, look, I'm going to come out and just say it. I do think that the Twippies are important and they are important to me and this show. I spent a lot of time doing this show. I'm not going to lie. I spent a lot of time putting on a microphone and talking to you about pinball and winning a Twippy matters to me. It does mean a lot that we get recognized as being the best pinball podcast because I do a pinball podcast for two reasons. I do it to give all of you out there uh, entertainment in the pinball world. I know that when you're done reading the forums, when you're done you know, uh, speculating about all the new games coming out, you do love to put on pinball podcasts when, on your way to work, when you're mowing the lawn, when you're just like wanting to think about pinball uh, at different points in the day. I do it to entertain you, but I also do it to make the best possible pinball podcast I can. And there is a strive within me to make this show as good as I possibly can. Hence the reason why I just bought this new microphone so it sounds even better. Uh, and I've always been very congratulatory of the other pinball podcasts that are out there. I think Ryan and Marty do a great show. I think Nate Shivers does a great show. I think the Slam Tilt show is great. There are so many great pinball podcasts out there. You've got Mrs. Pin. You know, you've got Brody who even talked pinball. You've got the Buffalo. You've got even, even This Week in Pinball has their own pinball podcast. There are like 30 pinball podcasts that are out there, right? And I've, I've missed like 25 even just mentioning them right now. There is something for everybody, okay? And I've always, I've always welcomed more and more people to put on the microphone and do your show. Do the show you the way you want to do the show. Um, it, it is unfortunate to me that that Head to Head won't even mention that there is a Canada's Pinball podcast. And I was just reading on Pinside uh, because one of it seems like one of my fans was on the Head to Head thread. And he basically said, uh, I want to read what he said. He said, Good day, mates. Just listen to the latest episode, Marty's 2018 show recap. While impressive, smacked of obvious trippy campaigning, 
as pointed out by nonetheless than Ryan C. himself. Head to Head does a great job and as such is one of my go-to pinball podcasts. However, until you guys get off your high horse and acknowledge Canada's podcast, as well as any of numerous compliments sent to you via Pinside, my Twippy vote will continue to go to Chris for podcast of the year. All right. Then Ryan chimes in. And Ryan says, please vote for whoever you want as the award means nothing to me. What does uh, podcast of the year mean anyway? The Twippies are an internet popularity contest that has no bearing on quality and happiness of the hobby to me. Enjoy whatever podcast you want, my friend, but please don't tell me to do something for you for a vote I could not care less about. Okay, so right there, Ryan could care less about a Twippy vote. And I'm here to tell you on this episode with my new microphone uh, that the Twippies do mean a lot and I do care about every vote I get. And I think everyone out there in the pinball world does care about it because I think statements like that undermine your vote and your opinion. It's not a popularity contest, is it? When you're asking like, what's the best game designer of the year? What's the best artwork in pinball? What's the best layout? What's the best toy? What's the best mechanism? Is it a popularity contest? Or or are we just asking people in a democratic way, collectively, which one do you think is the best? And it, it in a democracy, whoever gets the most votes wins. Is that is that fair? I think that matters. I don't know. It doesn't matter to them. So maybe, you know, if they don't care, I'll happily take the Twippy votes. But look, I, I, I literally, I hope that all of you do vote for this show if you do enjoy this show. And, and, and that's all I'm going to say about it. And let's turn a page and let's talk about the Munsters pinball because I've been traveling for work and I've been trying as hard as I can to look at the streams of the Munsters game. And we saw its stream on Thursday. I know Dwight went over the rules and, and I watched and I watched and I watched and I thought it was really great. I thought it was really great that Dwight gave people a walkthrough of how the game will work. And if you have been on the fence about this game, I think videos like that really, really help. And I know there's a lot of people, when it comes to Dwight coding a game, if we're to be honest, are nervous. And we, we saw a thread that said, you know, how well is Dwight's track record at finishing games? And, if, and just to recap, the games that Dwight has, um, has started coding, you know, at, since the last few years at Stern, I say started coding because, you know, a lot of people will say these games have never quite been finished and have never been polished to the point people would have liked. So Dwight has been on Game of Thrones, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, and now Monsters, okay? Now, I think Game of Thrones people are still wishing there would be more polish in the game, but I would also say Game of Thrones is a game that kind of has gone into a black hole of relevance. Nobody really cares. Uh, I don't hear this game talked about. I don't hear this game discussed. I don't hear people wanting to buy it. Game of Thrones will go down as a very, very B-level game. And it's not, I won't even say it's because of Dwight. Game of Thrones just missed the mark. I mean, I, I think we need to remember something. Game of Thrones is the most popular entertainment franchise in the world right now. More popular than Star Wars. Don't fool yourself. Do you know, here's a few facts because I'm working on a Game of Thrones marketing campaign right now. Game of Thrones is the most pirated piece of content in the history of the internet, all right? That means more people are trying to steal the shows than any other show in the history of shows. Game of Thrones has the most Emmy, Award, Emmy Awards of any show of all time, okay? And this will be the final year of the show. Now look, the game itself, I think while having Steve Ritchie's nice flow was completely lacking in bringing that Game of, of Thrones world to life. And we all know the artwork was terrible and all that stuff. Okay, but the game is still, I think for most people, not completely coded to where it, it feels finished. Ghostbusters, I don't, we all know the Ghostbusters coding story. People think that Ghostbusters needs to be revisited code-wise. 
Now we know that Dwight considers that game to be pretty much complete and done. Star Wars, you know, once again, Dwight and Steve Ritchie, Star Wars again, another ginormous miss when it comes to theme integration and getting that game uh, to, you know, to bring the Star Wars world we all love to life. Now from a code standpoint, I don't really feel like people are, are, are clamoring for more Star Wars code. Um, it is also probably one of the, I think, the most confusing and complex codes I've ever seen in, in a pinball game. And and I know that Dwight has has listened uh, to Rare Hero calling it like, it's like math class trying to figure that game out. It's like, or like chess. It's like code chess. You can't really figure out what is going on in that game in, in, in a simple way. And how bad is that? When you think about it, right? A coder is basically using software to walk you through the storyline of the game and to and to have you progress through the storyline of the game. And when I play Star Wars and all the stacking and all the multipliers, it's so stupid that they took that approach or Dwight took that approach because it's such an easy story to, to tell because the movies tell it perfectly. And yet here I am like combining scenes from different films and it makes no sense, all right? And again, Star Wars, another game, just doesn't feel like a game people are, are considering to be, you know, one of the better games. And I think we're at that point now, right, where people are starting to look at the Stern machines over the last five years or so and saying, well, which one of these machines are the best? Which ones are worth owning? And which one should I never let go? So Dwight's track record of completing games, it's not great. I think he's different than Lyman Sheets, and I think people realize this. And, and, and what I mean by that is I think Lyman is sort of like a poet. He's sort of like a guy who's building a cathedral when he makes a game. So if you know the story of, a, of cathedral building, they're never done because a cathedral is supposed to be built all the way up to the heavens. So technically, no cathedral on planet Earth is finished being constructed because they haven't quite reached the heavens. And I think Lyman Sheets looks at his games like that. He gets them complete enough, but he's always polishing. He's always thinking about ways to improve them. And for those of you who have owned a Lyman Sheets game, you've witnessed him even years after the fact go back to those games and do new things that get you reinterested in the game and just make the game even more special. I mean, we've seen him recently revisit Metallica. I mean, how many years did people think Metallica was done? Uh, Batman is finally at 1.02 code, but we all know that he's not done. He will find new things to improve in the game. Um, Whereas Dwight, I think, has the, the approach of, I coded this game and I'm done with it. That it's this is this game's finished. I'm on to the next. I don't think he has that desire uh, to bring the game to total, you know, magical level of fruition. Now here we are with Munsters, and I have to say, the Munsters launch by Stern was phenomenal. I, I it, they gave you everything you probably have wanted in a game. Um, whether or not the theme is the theme that you've been clamoring for or not, that's besides the point. I think it was a really good launch. I think the game is packed with a lot of fun stuff. I think it looks great. It looks like it shoots great. It looks like there's enough in the code right now. I mean, this is not going to be a game where Stern launches it and you're going to be embarrassed to buy it and open it up and play it. Um, we don't know if Dwight will finish the game in a way that is satisfactory to you. And that's the thing that you're just going to have to figure out. It's also the reason why we're really at a point where people need to play these games before they commit. And as cool as Munsters looks, I want to tell you, you know, after like the hype died down and I was traveling for work, I kind of want to tell you like what was going on in my head. So uh, we all witnessed the great launch. We all saw the beautiful game. We all saw the lower play field. We all talked about the black and white. We all probably got nauseous listening to everyone complain about, is this game just recycling two ramps, three pop bumpers, and two, you know, two orbits? I hate when people bitch about stuff like that. It's a pinball machine, people. Next thing people are going to bitch about Stern not being original because they put the game in a fucking box and there's four fucking legs. What else can people bitch about on pin side? When it comes to the layout of these games, there is only 
a finite amount of real estate in which you can design a pinball machine, do you really want them to just throw all of the fan layout stuff that people love that works? Do you want them just to go all original? You know what that's called? Rob Zombie. You know what that's called? America's Most Haunted. You know? Come on. Look at Look at like Chuck when he just throws out all the fan stuff people love. Games clunky, games this, games that. So, you know, look, you're, you're never going to get Stern to design a game that, that, that like completely throws out what they know works in pinball. So we all went through all of that. We listened to all of it. So here's where I started to sort of net out. I started to think about like, well, what's the main discussion been about in the game? And the first week when Stern launches a new game, you know what the, like the primary discussion is? It's all about the trim levels of the game, right? What, what, what is the pro? What is the premium? And what is the LE? Because in that first week, there really is only one group of people that needs to move fast. And those are the LE buyers. Like these guys have to make up their mind uh, because if they wait too long, they might miss out on a chance to get the LE version of the game. Now, did you see what Stern did on this one? They launched 500 LEs and they got people to have to commit to 500 LEs in week one, but they did something that I think was kind of strange and not, you know, a little questionable. They added an additional 100 LE machines to the mix. So there are now going to be 600 Munsters LE. And I wonder if they did this to keep me from flipping a Munsters LE. Now I'm going to be fully transparent. Uh, you know me, I talk about my, my flipping days of pinball. I was going to try and flip some Munsters pinball machines because I was, you know, I, like many of you, I was in on the hype. I was buying it. I thought this game was going to be, you know, it's going to be super hot. All the hype that I was getting from people who had seen it, you're going to be blown away. You know, Borg put more into this game than anything ever before. There's a lower play field. It's Franchi artwork. What possibly you know, could go wrong. And look, nothing really did go wrong, but there is an art form to flipping pinball. And there's also like a, a condition in which you can flip machines. And, and you know, it's very basic. There needs to be more demand for the game than supply. But I've always noticed that if an LE does not completely sell out on day one, there really is no room to flip for money. Not anymore. We, we, we've moved past the days of that, right? So what happened was this. I had two LEs on hold and the, my deposit on those machines was as follows. I would lose my deposit, which means it was non-refundable if I did not commit to buying the games within 48 hours of Stern revealing the title. So Stern revealed the game. On Tuesday, I had until Thursday at noon-ish to either commit or to get a refund. And so what I did was this. I basically said, well, let me see if LDs are sold out come Wednesday. And if they're not, I'm going to get out and let someone else have it at MSRP, right? Okay. It was super simple. So come Wednesday, there was one place I go to see whether or not people are going to pay more because this is where I would be selling my machine. Just go to eBay. And I saw on eBay, there were a bunch of Munsters LEs available for sale at $8,999. So I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do, this is not going to be flippable. I'll just let it go. So no, no harm, no foul. No harm, no foul. I didn't lose any money. Someone's getting two more spots opened up for people who want them at MSRP. They took them. There are still some Munsters LEs available on eBay. There's some distributors that still have them. They're, they They will not command more than MSRP. I don't think you're going to see Munster's LEs flipping for like $10,000, $12,000. I also think we're getting to a point where maybe that behavior is coming to an end, but I also don't think so. And here, here's why I don't think the Munster's has the same level of like, I'm, you know, I got to buy it before I even see it. I also don't think the Munster's as a theme And you could argue with me on this. I don't think the Munsters as a theme is nearly as popular as a Ghostbusters, as a Star Wars, you know, as a Batman. I, I don't. 
I don't think there's the same like, oh my God, I have to have it. If I'm going to be honest with you, I used to watch the Munsters when I was a kid growing up, right? I have not really thought about the Munsters in maybe 30 years. I've not watched the show in a long time. It's just not a property that I've been clamoring for. Now, from, for those of you out there who love the show, I think you're really happy with this pin. I think you're super excited that, that Stern decided to give you a pretty knockout package with this game. But the discussion's always about the trim in week one. And you know what we don't talk a lot about in week one is how the game plays. Because still, if you think about it, 95% or more people who have committed to buying Munster's LE, right? 95% of you, 95% of you who will get a Munster's LE new in box arrive at your door, 95% of you have never played the game. I mean, just think about that. You've never played it. All you can do is look at some videos. You don't know if you're really going to love it. You don't really know if it's going to blow you away. And that's why I think the LE market now for me is really all about it just needs to be a theme that you have to have. right? You, it, it's really hard to make up your mind on whether or not this is a game you're really going to love flipping. And, and, and so it's all about theme. It's all about theme and artwork. That's what drives the LE sales nowadays. And so, uh, you know, that's why Stern is smart too. Think about it. They make the pros and then they make the LEs. They get the high ticket items out the door into people's homes. They don't give you too much time to think about it. But 600, the additional 100 being added, I, I do have an issue with. You know, I, I think that's sort of kind of bullshit. Uh, if Stern's going to come out, if Stern is going to come out and say there's only 500 and then distributors are saying, you know, you have to, you know, lock in your deposits or you lose them within 48 hours and then Stern adds an additional 100 machines to the mix after the 48 hours were up for some people, I think it's bullshit. You, they should not be able to just arbitrarily play around with the limited edition numbers after they've announced how many there will be on reveal day because every single one of those 500 games will lose a little bit of value because now there's a whole nother hundred of them out there in the world. And I don't care what anyone says, a lot of LE people, they do care about the resale value of the game or how rare it is. It's just, it's more fun to have a rarer game if you're a collector. I, does anyone disagree with that? It is more fun to have 80 super limited edition Batmans than it would be to have 800. It's more fun to have 250 Batman LEs and have one of 250 versus one of 500 or one or 600. So will we see Stern do this again in which they completely sort of you know, just threw more in and took more money off the table. I don't like it. I think it's a little sleazy to do that after the fact. I think they should figure out the number beforehand, right? Didn't they make like 600 Guardians of the Galaxy LEs? What a mistake that was, right? The demand for Guardians LE was probably more like 300. So closing the loop on Monsters, let's just talk finally about the black and white, the color and all that jazz. Do I think Stern's going to make a color premium? I hope not. I hope they don't do it. I really hope that they let this thing be the way it is. I do think it's an interesting quagmire and dilemma. I wouldn't have done it personally myself. I don't think it makes sense to have the black and white be the premium. But it also makes it interesting. It makes it interesting because people now have decisions to make. And if you're a premium buyer, there's no rush. If I was a guy who's like, I'm going to get a premium, I really would wait to play it first. Wait to see where the code is because they're going to make premiums for a few years and there's no rush to get it, all right? All right, so Munsters. We should see it in a few weeks. I look forward to playing one on location. The great thing about being in New York City is we'll probably get one here real fast. So I saw someone on Pinside put up a thread that says, how much is my Batman Super LE worth? I'm ready to sell it possibly. It's got like 100 plays. How much? And that's a question I have for you guys out there. And I'll give you my answer. But how much is it? It was you know, a $15,000 Batman SLE uh, where there's only 80. 
and the code is pretty much done and the game still looks phenomenal. I mean, Stern has not gone back and given anyone that sort of metallic foil cabinet artwork. It has an upgraded speaker system, but it doesn't have much more than the premium of Batman. So you're really paying for the cosmetic package. That really is the only thing. You're paying for the cosmetic difference, the topper, and the limited nature. Um, here is what I think it's worth. And this is not me showing the game, ladies and gentlemen. There are only 80 SLEs. I think a Batman Super Limited Edition is worth no less than what it was new. All right, I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't know what the ceiling is, but I don't think you will see anyone sell a Super LE for less than $15,000. I don't. Now, if you have one with a ton of mods that people want, if you have one that's got a playfield protector, I think it's worth more than that. And I just described my machine. <laughs> I'm not chilling it, but mine is perfect. From I, it, it has a playfield protector from day one. Will I ever sell Batman Super LE? And the answer is yes, I will. And the reason why I'm saying yes, I will, because I only have room for one machine. And so Batman stays, all right? All right, anything else going on in Stern? Beatles sales. Will Beatles sell all 1,964 of the game? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I know we know Stern did one run of the game. I just don't know if the demand is there. Are people buying the golds at $8,000? I've also heard from people that Stern like messed up the code on the game. Uh, with the latest code update, what is on the apron card does not match what you do in the game anymore. And people seem to be a little bit confused about what exactly the mission of this game is. Um, yeah, it, it, we know what the mission is. It's just meant to be an, uh, a, an art piece for Beatles lovers. There's no way I, I, I think people will get a lot of long-term enjoyment out of such a simple game like that unless you're a Beatles fanatic. Uh, we've, we've beat it into the ground like a dead horse that, you know, the game is what it is. You know, I, I, I think by now, People realize uh, the target audience of this game, and it wasn't for operators. It was it was for collectors. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to make all of them. I don't, and I don't know if we'll ever know how many they fully made because they're they're each of them is not serial numbered. Uh, we know that the diamond and platinum are, but the gold ones. I don't believe the gold ones have like a number on them. I might be wrong. So if you know if I'm right or wrong, um, let me know. I wonder if you can hear me moving now with this new mic. It's kind of weird. I'm like, wow, it, I think it sounds better. <laughs> I have no idea until I listen to this first episode. All right, let's talk about Spooky Pinball right now, shall we? So I want to read something that Charlie wrote on Pinside, which I think is interesting. So he writes this. He says, code on Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle is finally where it's making us all happy here. What's interesting about that, okay, so the code finally is making him happy it is January, mid-January, right, of 2019. And Chuck showed this game at Texas Pinball Festival in March of 2018. So almost 10, 11 months later, like 10 months later, he's finally happy with the code. And I hope Chuck learns a lesson on all this because, Chuck, why would you show a game where you did not even have code that you were happy with 10 months early? Just to be at the show. It's it's at the point now where, right, it would have made total sense to reveal Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle at TPF of 2019. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But he goes on to say, I'm also to the point where daily duties allow me to actually jump in to help direct my own actual gameplay. Not to mention the team is bigger than it was one year ago and working well together. Yep, we drug our feet to get the Alice Cooper's Nightmare code caught up, fixed some buggy Rob Zombie issues, added crucial talent to the team, and oh yeah, built more games in 2018 than we ever had before. About 520 total nuclear annihilations out the door, said it before, we stepped up TNA production to get the plate clear and 
uh, and do nothing but Alice Coopers. Okay, so that's the whole thing. They, they want to clear out all the TNAs so they can build Alice Coopers. He then writes, we never expected TNA to go over a couple hundred units. Aldous Cooper's Nightmare Castle sold a massive chunk fast. First and second best-selling games back-to-back. Good problem, but still a problem. So let's do the math. We have six TNAs left to build, and Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle is already taking over the production stands. 520 games done last year. It's January 10th. And the only game currently on the production schedule for 2019 is Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. We promise to ship them all in 18 months or less. We will do just that. So I think what Chuck is saying there is they're now at the point with where the team is at where Spooky Pinball can pretty much build 500 games a year. So even though they're delayed on Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle... Uh, within a year, we probably should see all of them manufactured, all right? All right, he then goes on to say, going full HD and full RGB ain't cheap, but you stay on par with everyone else or fall behind fast. Considering we sold more games in 2018 with new system than all the games in our first five years of existence combined, I'd say we made the right decision. We have never claimed to be perfect, but we'll never stop trying to get there. I think this year is going to be fairly freaking amazing to say the least. Peace and pinball people, life is darn good. All right, Chuck, well, look, first of all, we do have to congratulate Spooky on on, on making all those total nuclear annihilations. We also have to remind Chuck, too, that that was not a spooky game. And the reason why people loved it is Scott Denise knocked it out of the park. But you know what? They're all Team Spooky now, so we'll give him credit for that. Now, look. I, I'm not in on an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. And I and I look, I could I could stand in front of this mic and say the decision was stupid. Why do it so early? It was a dumb decision. Charlie never should have revealed the game at TPF 2018. But I'm also here to tell you it doesn't matter. Who cares, right? The only people who should be upset are people who put deposits down and, and, and can't get out of those deposits. And I don't see a lot of people saying that, right? I think Chuck does have a loyal buyer base. I think he does have a loyal following. I don't see people whining and moaning. I think some people have tried to sell their spots and those people have been successful in selling their spots. I think when the dam breaks uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to see a lot of Alice Cooper Nightmare Castles going out the door. And I think that's a good thing. And I can't wait to see people actually play the game in a home environment. Um, My only, you know, I've said this before, I think the game's got great, great animations. I actually voted for those animations as the best uh, in the Twippies this year. Uh, the only the thing that's going to be interesting is how much is actually physical and how much is on the screen. So if you look at Monster Bash and you look at the Munsters, a lot more physical stuff the ball is interacting with than on Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Uh, I, I think the thing is, it's like, don't be fooled by that big castle. It's a huge castle, but there's not a lot of physical things to actually bash and hit uh, compared to the competition. All right, but again... I'm not going to ding Chuck for being successful. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I think his next game uh, after Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, I think it's going to be the pivotal game that they get super right because the competition is heating up and Spooky. Uh, you know, 2019, he's already got the game sold. So if you're Chuck, you kind of can sleep at night because you don't have to find people to buy your Alice Cooper's because you already did. Um, so was it smart? Was it not? We'll see. We'll see what happens in 2019. I I can't imagine everyone in on Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle is going to want to stay after seeing the monsters, but um, time will tell if that happens or not. All right. So speaking of monster-themed games, where the fuck is Monster Bash Remake LE? Where is it? Does anyone have one? Can anyone unbox one? This game is so trickling out slowly. I feel like this game is coming out slower than they would have wanted to. Uh, this game was revealed at Expo, but man, it's been a slow, slow launch of the limited edition. And I think they made a little bit of a weird decision, which was to make the serial numbered buyers games first. So if you had a serial number game on, you know, Medieval Madness remake or Attack from Mars, they wanted to sort of give those people a chance to have a serial matching game. 
Uh, for the life of me, I'll never fucking understand why people care if their game number matches up. Like, I got game number 69 of these three games. Who gives a shit? Like, who, who really cares about the year the game is or, or not the year like the number of the game i know i know christopher franchi got like uh the monsters number 64 the year the the show came out yeah that's cool yeah nobody gives a shit but it's cool like i guess i guess I'm, i've never understood that like serial number matching pinball machine uh said nobody ever in the world of things we should care about but but look monster bash remake le if you're in on it, you're probably not super happy. Uh, again, another game that like people just have been waiting and waiting and waiting for. Um, I haven't seen too many complaints about the monster bashes that are out there. These remakes are interesting. You know, people's excitement for them it wanes. The games come out, they're great, new lighting, new display. Uh, but I almost feel like you know people are ready for the next remake like four to five months later. You know, they kind of want to see Chicago Gaming do like a Stern and like have two new titles a year, not just one every 18 months. And so will we see Chicago Gaming get to that point? Speaking of new games, Oktoberfest. I'm going to tell you right now. Here's the deal. If I win the Twippies, I was thinking I could give you guys an option of things I could do. One of them, if I win the Twippy Awards, I will buy an Oktoberfest. You heard it here. You heard it. It's on the air. If Canada wins the Twippy for Best Pinball Podcast, he's going to buy an Oktoberfest. I didn't say what I'll do with that Oktoberfest I buy, but I'll buy one. I, you, 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 you heard it here first. I will buy it. I will buy it from, from Joe Newhart at Pinball Star or, or, or Chris from Cointaker. One of, whoever has it, I'll buy it. And, and that's a guarantee. If they say the Best Pinball Podcast of the year is Canada's, I'm buying an Oktoberfest. Okay. I'm also, the, the second option you have, if I don't do that, the other option is I'm, I will buy Hilton a car. I, I'm, I'm not telling you which car. You can get cars for real cheap these days. You can get a car for cheaper than a pinball topper these days, but I will buy him a car. All right? All right. Those are the deals you have if Canada wins the best pinball podcast. So the only thing I want to say about Oktoberfest is where is it? Mid-January, again, another game revealed. They're working on it. They're getting, we've seen what will be the final art package. And you've probably seen it by now too. They, they fixed a lot of what was wrong with the art. They got rid of Pretzel Lady. They got rid of like Otto on the side. You can now read the full game title on the side. There's now a woman with big voluptuous breast on the back glass. They finally listened to the creepy old men who want to see a, a, a CGI'd woman with big bombs looking at them in a pinball game. Great. Great. The monkey's been replaced, I think, by like a, a dog. Um, where is the game? How do these guys get people excited again for this game? How do you do it? How do you drum up another reveal for a game that's already been revealed for a game you've already been taking orders on or is american pinball gonna wise up real fast and they're gonna announce that they are making kingpin are they gonna announce that they have another game they're gonna throw on the line that has strong demand i just don't see demand coming back for this game and i happily invite anyone from ap on to talk about why we should get excited about this game come on not double normal the floor is yours, gentlemen. Explain to us why people should get excited. All right, we're going down the manufacturers. Let's stop next at Deep Root. So Deep Root Pinball. Um, I'm here to tell you a huge world exclusive on Deep Root. And that world exclusive is they remain silent. They still don't say much. And I still think that's the right approach. I still, I still think Robert's going to bring stuff to TPF. I, I, I think they're going to shock everybody and bring stuff to TPF. They, they see Stern's hand. Stern's whole show is going to be Munsters. So can, you know, how awesome would it be? And how awesome would it be knowing what your competition is? Like they know that Stern's creme de la creme is going to be Munsters at the show. How awesome would it be if Deep Root came and just showed something more magical? Uh, showed something... Uh, in a game or showed a game that where the ball and, and the and the gameplay was just different 
It had magical stuff in it. It had stuff that had never been done before. How awesome would that be? And we have to be honest with ourselves when we say that the Munsters looks awesome. The Munsters has some stuff that hasn't been done before, right? That lower playfield's got stuff going on in it that we haven't seen before. But, but I would say this. What does the ball do in the Munsters? The physical steel ball, what does it do that's magical? That's like, wow, did you see it do that? Does it have that? I haven't played it yet, so I can't say for sure. The upside down ramp is really cool on the right, but we're still seeing like the same stern magnet, the same, you know, I don't know, the same stuff. There's nothing, there's nothing that's like, shit, man, I can't believe what the ball just did. Like, that's so fucking cool. Like, and, and look, to be fair to Stern, I haven't seen Deep Root do it either. So like, don't don't get too concerned. But like, will Deep Root do something that blows everyone away at TPF? I think it'd be a missed opportunity. Um, hopefully, I will have someone on from Deep Root soon uh, to this show because uh, I want I, I want them to to tell us what is going on behind the scenes and and get a little bit more of an insight from from all the hard work they're supposedly doing. So I look forward to that. Now, the other thing with Deep Root, and I saw this on Pinside, we have to talk about stuff that that pops up on the forum, is the whole notion that um, this week in pinball will give someone a free Deep Root machine if, you know, you enter to win a free Deep Root machine if you donate to this week in pinball. And that machine could be anywhere from $5,000 to $10,000, it says. And also, one of the Deep Root designers, Robert included, will come to your home and set up the machine for you. And this was this is on This Week in Pinball as part of the terms and conditions for donating to the site. And Robert chimed in and said, you know, I'm just trying to help Jeff out. Uh, that's great. Robert, I would love, why can't you give Canada a free pinball machine? If Canada wins the Twippy, uh, someone who voted for him will get a free Deep Root machine. It's like, it's kind of like Oprah Winfrey these days. You get a Deep Root machine. You get a Deep Root machine. Uh, here's the only problem with all this stuff. There are no Deep Root machines. We don't know what they are. Is, 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 are, is that the price point? Five to 10,000? Like what, what machines? Like, and haven't we heard this before from John Papaduke? The whole notion of like we'll fly to your house and set the machine up for you is it are we are, are they really just trolling us with that offer or is that a real offer and i don't know how i feel about donating to a site enters you to win like i guess it's fine i mean i go back and forth in it because because this week in pinball is not it's not like a new site that takes an editorial slant like i am like i i, I give you opinions I, I'm not, I'm trying to be like, as you know, I'm, I'm trying not to like show favoritism for one or the other, you know, so it's like someone, like no one sponsors this site. So I could be like, fuck Penn Stadium because they don't sponsor my site, even though I do think Penn Stadium is great. You know what I'm saying? You know, I used to listen to podcasts be like nifty LEDs and it'd be like, blah, 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 blah. like, like, you know, which pinball media people out there are, are really good friends with manufacturers or take money or are sponsored by them. So you're probably not going to get this week in pinball to ever say something negative about Deep Root if Deep Root is giving them machines. Uh, because nobody is lobbying to be on Canada's Pinball Podcast. Nobody gets special favors here, right? All right. So what else is going on in pinball? So um, anything at Chicago? We talked about that. We talked about P3, nothing new. We're waiting to see what Jerry's doing with the new modular systems. Let me read some of your emails and then we'll call it a day. And I want you guys to tell me if this pinball podcast sound better because, uh, again, the new mic, we'll see how it sounds. And I might be, you know, my battery's dying. We're, we're in a rush here. All right, let's see. I got an email from Ed Owens. As Ed says, Chris, just a quick thought on a for sale ad quoting play counts. Some ads even show pictures of the audits. Before I got Ghostbusters, I gave good weight on this information. You yourself have berated people for selling games with low counts because they haven't actually played a game. Then I did a code update. Huh, the audits get cleared. Even game count. So those selling games don't understand this or are being deceptive. It's virtually impossible to quote a valid count without a physical counter. Plus it 
does take a few hundred games to really break in a new game to realize how it really plays. Things loosen, ball, English calms down, bounces different. Just my quick thoughts as something I believe people should know and keep in mind when buying. Ed Owens. Um, Ed, thank you so much for the note. We've said this so many times. Saying your game is like, you know, less than 200 plays is the dumbest thing I hear in for sale threads because to your point, you could simply roll back the mileage on every pinball machine by doing a code update. So we don't know. You know, back in the day, arcade games, you could tell how many times it was played because it had a physical counter uh, on the coin slot and how many quarters went into that machine. But look, the way you, it's so easy to tell how much play a game has had. The best way to tell is to actually stand over it and look, right? That's why people always ask for shooter lane picks because the shooter lane wear is actually a really good indicator. After that though, you're really gonna wanna look over a machine and see like how is the wear on the game in, in different areas, like near scoops, uh, near vertical up kicks, near the slings, like is any of the playfield chipped? Uh, how bad are the dimples in the game? Stuff like that. And you really need to stand over a game if you want to feel like it's a low play, barely used machine, right? We saw that guy like a couple weeks ago, Pirates of the Caribbean, brand new, um, 27 plays, buy it now, it's as good as new in box. 27 plays, really? You can put 27 plays on a game in like 15 minutes. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. All right, what else have we got here on Canada's Pinball Podcast? Hold on, going back. Uh, let's see, pinball predictions. I asked you guys for pinball predictions. I'm going to do that on another episode because I'm not going to, it's going to be a dedicated show, but get me more of your pinball predictions. I'm going to say that now because I got a few and we will do a pinball prediction show, but I didn't get as many to fill a show as I would have liked. So if you have a 2019 pinball prediction, email me at canadapinball at gmail.com. I got, let's see, David. Uh, David writes, an idea for P3. And David writes, hi, Canada. Love the podcast. I just had an idea pop into my head and I thought I'd share it with you. I think the perfect theme for P3 Multimorphic would be Fortnite. It appeals to both kids and adults and is an immensely popular franchise. I have to imagine it wouldn't be that expensive of a license to secure. Of course, I'm just pulling that out of my ass. I really have no idea. And it's a theme that would lend itself well to the multimorphic platform. Landing that license would instantly make P3 much more attractive to a lot of people. Keep up the great work, Chris, and keep being yourself because that's the reason we keep listening. Thanks, David. Well, David, thank you for the note. Do I think that Fortnite is a great idea for P3 uh, and P3 Pinball? Uh, here, here's the deal. No, and I'll tell you why. Because Fortnite really already has a really great way to play it, and it's on a console or a PC or a mobile device. Fortnite is, is humongous, and the game is super fun. But why would I want to play Fortnite, a first, like, you know, sort of like a, a shooter game, a third-person shooter, why would I want to play that on a pinball machine? And the whole reason why Fortnite is awesome is because of Battle Royale. If you know the story of Fortnite, the game came out and it flopped. And only when they made the 100-person like Battle Royale mode did they, uh, you know, did it take off and did it become successful. And it's so addictive the way it works. Now, the only reason Fortnite works, look at the Battle Royale, because there's millions and millions of people playing it. So once you die, you can pop back into a new game. Now, I'm just trying to envision that as a pinball machine. So, so, so Dave, like, think, think how that would work. Like, how would a game where you're running around an island, shooting people and building forts, translate well into pinball? You would have to have a lot of other people with, with P3s that are internet connected where you're playing them live uh, you know, and, and, and you're battling each other. Like it would have to have that same feel. Now the problem is there's only like 30 to 40 P3s out there, which means every single owner would have to have a Fortnite playing at the same time to actually make it worthwhile to have that sort of like chaotic fun going on. And they don't even have internet connection. So you really would just be playing Fortnite by yourself 
which is like defeats the whole point of Fortnite. Uh, and the final nail in the coffin is that Fortnite is super expensive. Uh, Fortnite to partner with Fortnite is is more expensive to, than to partner with like most movies. Uh, it you know it's it's just to give you guys a sense of the money. Fortnite makes about three hundred million dollars a month in downloadable content sales. Three hundred million, more in one month than Stern will make in years, and they do it every month. All right, no, 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 that can't save P three. I think P three needs something like Tron. I think it needs like the original Tron, something where like that screen and using the screen to like create like the kinds of effects that you never could get uh, on a stationary wood playfield. I think it needs that. You know what would be really cool? I think an anime would be really cool where it's like constantly changing, like almost like, because it could be like comic book style where the entire playfield is like flipping over the next page and you're playing through it. And as you do stuff with with the ball, like it, it turns the, the pages of, of the comic book. I don't know. Like I, I just think you'd have to be really. They have to figure out how to be creative because I think what makes no sense to me in P three is when, it, and when, you know when it does like Lexi to me feels like it's like kind of like a pinball game with like sixteen bit graphics. Even if that I don't know, it just doesn't work in that. It gets better with like the rocks. It gets better with some of the other games. But I think Jerry needs to figure out how to make like a, a, a full pinball game, not those short little experiences, but a full game work with the screen. Now, Devil's Advocate, maybe the system and the platform is just best for those quick little fun games that are simple. And I think if he gets internet connectivity, I think he could he could really be onto something, but he doesn't right now. All right. Let's see, I got an email from, do, 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 do. all right, so this email is from Philip, and Philip says to me, got rid of Ghostbusters, now what? He says, still listening to your show since almost day one, still the best pinball podcast in my book, thanks for the hard work. I finally got rid of my Ghostbusters Pro, I'm so glad it's actually gone, or finally gone, the clunk fest, he says. It really was a clunk fest from day one. Slimer didn't register. Ramps didn't feel right. Auto plunger hit the backboard on almost every plunge. I'm so not happy. Not easy to sell those games in Switzerland. That's for sure. Since I can only own one pin, I'm now looking for a new one. One I can actually enjoy and feel good about. So I always thought Toten to be a beautiful machine. Some guy offered me a high-end restore toad in in absolutely stunning condition. New playfield with protector, all electronics, well-made, gold trim, beautiful apron, and so on. Just incredible. It's about 9,000 including shipping. Lots of people tell me that toad in gets old fast. Since you had one, what would you tell me? Is it getting old that fast? Alternatives would be dialed in, don't like the theme, but it plays really good, or maybe a Chicago gaming company remake, Monster Bash, gets old pretty fast as well, though. Thanks for your advice and keep up the good work. Cheers, Philip. All right, well, Philip, that's an interesting question because it sounds like you might have room for only one pin. Is that, is that right here? Am I reading that right? Um, here's the deal. Um, if you only have one pin in your collection, I, I don't think Toten will be very um, appropriate for that because as someone who had one who that was absolutely gorgeous, just like the way you described yours, it's an amazing game. There is nothing against the machine itself, but the problem with Tales of the Arabian Nights is it does get old really fast because there's not a lot to do in the game uh, from, from a code standpoint. Uh, you're, you collect the jewels, you battle the genie, you enter genie multiball, you save the princess, and the game is over. There's like not a lot else that goes on. But I will say this. Toten is probably one of the most amazing pinball machines ever at the same time. The mechanisms are incredible. The ramp is, I think it's the sweetest ramp in pinball history. The, the toys in it, the disappearing magnet, the shooting stars, the fireball, the genie, the lamp, there's so much to physically do in the game. 
uh, that it, but it always leaves you wanting to do a little bit more because every time you play it, you sort of are playing the same game and you're going down the same road. And I think if you're looking for a pinball machine that allows you more depth uh, and allows you to sort of tackle the game in different ways, I do think Tales of the Arabian Nights is very, very one-dimensional in that aspect. Now, the only advice I can give you, because I can't say like, oh, if you're going to have one pin, you know, go get this or go get that. I, I think you're going to have to go play uh, machines to figure out what machine you like the most. And I will say that out of out of a, if you have a one pin collection, I think you're going to probably want to look at either something from Stern or th- something from Jersey Jack Pinball. Uh, and, and then it's just going to come down to theme and what you want. But you're going to want depth. And so I would even narrow it down from there. I think you're going to be looking at either a pinball machine from Lime and Sheets. So you're looking at The Walking Dead, Metallica, uh, Batman. Uh, or you're going to want to look at, if you look at Jersey Jack, I would pass on Dialed In. I would. Uh, I, I keep hearing better things about The Hobbit with the latest code. But again, like, I don't know, that's kind of a, mm, mm, the, 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 sh- the shots on The Hobbit would, would have me be hesitant. And you have to love that theme, I think, a little bit, right, to want it. There's also a lot of great machines that are out there that are from a little bit years prior. I would recommend, over a Tales of the Arabian Night, I would recommend, if you could find a good condition Lord of the Rings, I think that would be good. I think if you could find a good condition... I think, you know, a Tron might be satisfying to you. There's just a lot of Sterns that have, you know, depth that are considered to be great games. Uh, you know, you can't go wrong with the remakes of Attack from Mars, uh, you know, or Medieval Madness or, 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 or Monster Bash. Again, I, I recommend just play it. You're going to have to play it. In, in a single home environment with, with one pin, you need to play the game. And I would find a friend or find a barcade and get a lot of time on a machine before I would commit. Toten will seduce you with its sexiness, though, and and they are sexy machines, but they will get old. Trust me, when I had mine, even though it was beautiful work of art, I barely played it after a few months, and I don't think you want to get into that situation. All right, who else do we get an email from? Uh, CanadaPinball at gmail.com, people, and you see, you'll get on the air, and now that I sound better... It might be more fun for you to write in so you can hear yourself an even greater Canada Pinball Podcast articulation. All right, let's see. I got more emails about Ted. I'm going to skip on those. Do, do, do. All right, Canada's driving Stern's marketing. So I heard this. This is interesting. This is from Mark. Mark, thank you for writing in. The subject is Canada driving Stern's marketing. Isn't it funny how the number one pinball company with 95% market share and the only ones are the only ones listening to Canada. Well, first of all, Mark, I don't know that. I'm sure people at Stern listen to a lot of other podcasts. In fact, I know they do. And here's why: because the other pinball podcasts get the Stern interviews. So I know they listen to Nate and Head to Head and and Special One Lit. I forgot to mention Special One Lit at the beginning of the show, but oh my God, like those interviews are incredible. So they listen to more than just me. Monsters um, launch launched at CES. Huge mainstream show where the game will get tons of broad exposure. Gary, Zach, and Danger dress up like monsters to get focus and attention. Cuts through noise at CES. Total Canada move. Jack Danger live stream from CES with more streams to follow. Code looks to be very far along. High resolution images available to everyone at launch. Mini playfield. Really compare Monster Premium and to Pirates of the Caribbean relative to feature and price point. What would you rather have? A cool lower playfield with multiple shots or a lame Pirates of the Caribbean upper playfield with fewer shots? Let me start stop you there, Mark, because I'm reading this. First of all, no, 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 no. I, I should not get any credit for how Stern launched the Munsters, okay? It's here's why. That's just par for the course in how you should launch anything, okay? You should launch your stuff with high-res images, with a good video, with a stream of it. This isn't like, I didn't invent this. I simply am reminding companies that they should do it this way. 
I also think that, you know, dressing up like the Munsters was really fun. I think they went a little bit above and beyond, of course, with what they needed to do. And I thought it was really fun. And I think all of you out there enjoyed it. And I think it was refreshing to see Stern and, and Jack Danger do that launch. I, I, I think we want to see more of that in the future with pinball machines. Um, I also do not think that the lower play field in the Munsters makes the rocking ship in Pirates of the Caribbean look like crap or is better. And and I think a lot of you out there would prefer in your lower or, or upper play fields to still play with the full-size ball. I would. I think it's more fun to have the full-size pinball uh, be what goes into the upper or lower play fields. And maybe that's just me, but that's what I prefer. And I also think the rocking ship in Pirates of the Caribbean is really impressive too. Like one doesn't have to trump the other. They're both really cool. I think they both fit perfectly into each theme of the game. Uh, So I don't think we need to knock one over the other. I do think, for me, the miss on the Pirates is just the way the ball falls off the right side of that rocking play field is just such a bad design. It's just, oh, every time it happens, I'm like, oh, why couldn't they just figure something better than this? He then goes on to write, black and white version causing a ton of buzz in the community. We will see how it plays out, but a total Canada move to own the conversation about pinball. Munster's in on the line now, and you can get one within weeks, keeping the hype machine alive. Result... Who cares about Monster Bash anymore? Dots are dated. Alice Cooper orders will be canceled. People backing out will drive the price down. No one gives a shit about Oktoberfest. Already old news. JJP, Pirates of the Caribbean. Service nightmare with lots of problems out of the box. People doing wait and see on Pirates of the Caribbean are just being given reasons not to buy. Pathetic. Stern wins again because they are listening to Canada and doing event-level game launches and then shipping the customers their orders shortly thereafter. Well, Mark, look, again, Stern's always been doing that. This isn't a Canada move. When, when's the last time Stern revealed a game and then made you wait months? Stern has always been pretty on top of it. And I think now that they actually are giving you more of what you want in games, they actually can have more fun launching those games because they're not, they're, you know, maybe I didn't mention this, but I should. The, the, enthusiasm I saw from the Stern employees when the game is good. It's such a different launch mindset. It's such a different launch approach. I think they're much more excited to get you a game like the Munsters than to get you a game like Game of Thrones. And I think in the past, I do, I think Stern knows when they cut corners. I think they know when they didn't go as far as they could have. I think they know when they look over a game and the artwork is crap. I, you know, I kind of felt like in the past, Stern hasn't always been as excited and as passionate as they are with some of these newer titles. And I think the Munsters was probably the best Stern launch we have ever seen. Has there been a better one, right? Star Wars, they fucked up. They didn't go to the Star Wars convention. They missed like they missed every like major moment. They missed Comic Con. They it was like just kind of dribbled out. Nothing to write home about with Deadpool, uh, Batman. You didn't get to play it. Like you know, they brought out all three models to play, streamed them for us all week long, dressed up like the fucking monsters. Gary was at the goddamn like hockey game dressed as as, as Eddie Monster. It was free or Grandpa Monster. It was freaking incredible week of nothing but overload on the game itself. And I, I can't complain about that. I can't complain about that. Meanwhile, people still haven't seen like Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, like a good video. They haven't, they haven't seen it. So it's not me though. This is not Canada. This is just how you're supposed to market pinball. It's how you're supposed to market a toy. I don't get credit. It's like when Chris Rock says like, you know, people can't take credit for for stuff they're not supposed to do. Like, you can't take credit for not being in prison is what he used to say. And the same is true here. I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see it. And, and, and we all know that every other company out there that's looking to get a pinball machine to market shouldn't show shit until the games are in box. Can you imagine a different scenario in which Chuck built 50 to 100 Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, just built them, had them in box, ready to go. 
You know, don't give people options of butter this, butter that. Just fucking make one version with everything great in it. Butter cabinets, this and that. Charge fucking 7500 100 are made. Chuck walks in the TPF and says, 100 are in boxes. We give you the best trim, the best art, the best cabinet, the best everything. Game 7500 okay? 100 of them are going out from our warehouse next week. They are ready to go. They're built. They are tested. They are perfect. They are coded. Order today. He would sell all 100 immediately, okay? And they had the money to do it. They should have just waited, stockpiled them, get them ready to go. I love watching Stern send 50 games out a day. A day. These guys, other guys, like, can't get 50 games out a year. It seems like it's at times. All right, everyone, this has been episode 299 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the new microphone. I've enjoyed recording it. I feel like I sound a little bit better. Do you think? I feel like I sound a little bit more like Nate, a little bit like, like deeper with, with this mic. God, the wonders of technology. Everyone, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.